Last week we talked about the Feast of Tabernacles. We've been in this series for several months now. If we can put up that calendar. We've talked about these holidays, these spring festivals, these, these moedims, these, these appointed times. And, and we went through earlier, we went through the spring holidays, and we're not going to rehash all of that. All of these are online, guys. We're on iTunes. If you miss something, you can go back and listen to it. But they're all very prophetic, and that's the thing we need to understand. And this is part of the problem in the Western churches. Our, our, in the early church, we were so desperate to get away from anything that had to do with the Jewish people that we've lost these things. There's not a command in the Gentile world that we have to celebrate these things or go to Jerusalem three times a year for for the different feasts and stuff, but it is something we should certainly be aware of, and it is something we should certainly be watching for, because this all has to do with the timeline of Jesus' return. They had to do with the timeline of his first visit. Now we're gonna, we've been talking about these fall feasts and what they have to do with his, uh, his second coming, okay? You've got what we call the church age in here. It's been going on for a couple thousand years now. And we talk about the Feast of Trashments, the Day of Atonement, the Tabernacles we finished up last week, and what all of those have to do with Christ, how he fulfilled them while he was here. But the problem is, is that when we think of prophecy, we have a very Greek mindset, which is, you know, not surprising, but we think of prophecy as, as something prophesied, then fulfilled, then prophesied, then fulfilled, kind of, kind of like one and then the other, and that's it. But that's not how a Hebrew mindset is. They think it's this already but not yet mindset. In other words, it's staggering prophecies where these things happen and then there's a fulfillment and then there's another fulfillment and then there's another fulfillment. They point to different things. And we'll talk about that a little more in detail here momentarily. But we've been talking about this for a while. Now, what are we talking about here? In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16, it says this, Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which is a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. This is the thing. Jesus is the substance of all of these things that were shadows pointing to him. These were festivals that have been kept for thousands of years by the Jewish people. And for the most part, they had no idea why they were doing it other than God said, do this. And that's, that's okay. You don't always have to know why God's telling you to do something to do it. Just do it. It's kind of like your kids, right? You don't ask me why I'm telling you to do it. Just do it. Why do I have to clean my room? Because I said so. Why do I have to wear a seatbelt? Because I said so. What more do you need to know, right? But they argue with you all the time. Sorry, I'm getting up on a soapbox. It's been a good week with my kids. They're fantastic. I love them dearly. But, you know, and another thing, and I didn't put this up here today, but let me read this for you. Genesis 1, verse 14, just to give you the context of which we are talking everything. This is day four. God creates light, right? Genesis 1, we know all about that. God created the heavens and earth and everything in them be. Then it said, then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And the problem is, is the Western church has adopted this thing. Oh, what are the lights there? So we know what day it is. And, and, and so we know what what season we're going to, whether it be autumn or anything like that, that has nothing to do with it. You don't need stars and moons and suns to tell you it's getting cold outside. It's probably going to be winter soon, right? This is that word, that moedim, these idea, these appointed times there so that they know when to celebrate these. And this time clock in which they, they celebrate these looks like this, and it, it compares to our calendar here. Um, I think I've got that slide with the circle up there, don't I? Yes, I do. Look at that. We're on top of things today. In the month of Nisan, you have Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. Remember, Jesus was our Passover lamb. He was our unleavened bread in the sense that leaven was always a symbol of sin. There was no sin in him. And of course, first fruits was his resurrection. But that corresponds to the first of Nisan in our March and April range. Then you get into Pentecost. 50 days later, that was when the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 came upon the, uh, and, and created the church, if you will. 
And then you get over here to the month of Tishri. Now, this is coming up pretty quick. Look at that. About mid-September, this thing's going to be started. And we will point that out when we get there because I want you guys aware of it. But you've got the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and Tabernacles, all of which we've talked about in detail. And we've talked about the Feast of Trumpets perhaps being the rapture of the church. And then the Day of Atonement and the Tabernacles having to do with the Millennial Kingdom and other parts of that. We've gone into that. I don't have time to go into all of that again today. But I want to show you this timeline, okay? If we can put this up here, big guy. There you go. Now, we hear order of events. Notice it says not to scale in case you were concerned. I did not make this. This would have taken me forever to put this together, okay? But it gives us an idea. Now, I will tell you, not everybody agrees with this, Okay? We need to understand that there are things that are critical that we cannot divide on. Like, is Jesus who he said he was? Did he really die, was buried in the ground, and then three days later resurrected? Those are things we will not divide on. This, this is it. This, there is no other way. If you don't agree with this, then you don't agree with the Bible. But the timing of the rapture and all of that stuff, while I think it is very clear, it is not something necessary for salvation. It is not something that we are going to divide on. But we've got here this order of events. This goes back into several different prophecies and things that we're going to talk about. But this is all having to do with these festivals, guys. And this is what I want you to see. We have the harpazo, all right? What we would call rapture. The rapture comes out of the Latin Vulgate. That was the translation. Harpazo is the Greek word here. There you see in 1 Thessalonians. After that, you get into what we call the tribulation period. It's a seven-year period. Three and a half years for the first part. Everything's all peachy and all of that. They rebuild the temple. And then you've got the uh, abomination of desolation where the Antichrist goes in and creates a, he, literally what I think is going to happen. He's going to march into the Holy of Holies and he is going to sit down on the mercy seat of that temple and say, worship me. Now, to a Jewish person, and this has happened before, this is something that has happened in the temple before, they are going to freak out, and rightfully so. At that point, the Great Tribulation will begin. Then you have the Second Coming and the thousand-year reign of Christ. The millennium uh, is going on. Now, that's what we're going to get into a little bit today to talk about this. This is not going to be all-encompassing because we would be doing this for months, and that is not what we're doing. We are currently teaching through the book of Revelation on uh, Wednesday nights, and there we'll go into more depth. This week, we are starting Revelation chapter 4, which gets into the concept of the rapture, and we're going to talk about that much more in depth there. So if you want more information on that, please come Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. You'll learn more there. But when we t we're really focused on this millennial kingdom right here is what we're focused on. Because it is during this time that we believe that the Feast of Tabernacles is going to be fulfilled. That is Jesus coming and tabernacling among us. We saw him do it in 1 John that uh, in the beginning was the word and the word was made flesh and the, fle uh, the word dwelt among us. And that dwelt as he's tabernacling with us. That is what we're talking about there. I apologize for this microphone. I don't know what's going on. But... In this millennial kingdom, there's going to be two distinct groups. There's going to be the resurrected believer that is there in his glorified body, and you've got the survivors of that seven-year reign of torment. Now, let's jump into 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to try to talk slow. I have them up on screen for you. I know I don't talk slow, but I'm going to try. Okay? This is where we get the idea of this rapture, the taking away of the saints. It says, but I, starting in verse 13, but I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, this is Paul talking to the Thessalonians, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. That means they've died. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died 
and he rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who, he, yeah, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Now why is Paul writing this? The Thessalonians were concerned because they all were waiting on the coming of Christ. They thought he was coming back any day. They thought he was coming back in their lifetime. There has been, since Jesus left the first time, everybody thinks he's coming back in their lifetime. So far, everybody's been wrong. Guess what we think? He's coming back in our lifetime. Are we right? I don't know. We'll find out, won't we? But this is, there's two things that are going on here. One, he is comforting them because they were concerned that those who died are going to miss the chance of the rapture and all of that. He's saying that, no, 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 the dead in Christ will rise first. But the idea that we are going to be caught up together with the Lord in the air, that caught up is the Greek word harpazo. It's the taking away, the snatching. This is where we get the idea of the rapture. It's the gathering of the saints away. This meeting Jesus. This is different than the second coming of Christ. Because when the second coming happens, you're going to see him. He's going to step foot on the Mount of Olives there in Jerusalem. And he's bringing the saints with him. You've got two different things that are going on here. Now, I am giving you the idea of preaching this from the perspective of the pre-trib rapture of the church. If you don't agree with me, that's okay. I don't hate you. You're just wrong. I'm just kidding. But, but just, just, just bear with me, okay? You know, we, we don't want to argue about this stuff. But it's the gathering away of the saints. That's what we're looking at. Now, 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to start in verse 50. Now, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye in the, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when the corruptible has put on incorruption, then this mortal has put on immortality, then shall he be, be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Now, there's a couple things here. What is he saying? This flesh is corruptible. Yes, I think we all know that. There is something unholy about this because all the things that taste good make more of you. That's not incorruptible. There's a problem with that. We should be able to eat what we want, when we want. Thus saith the Lord, praise God, amen, let's do this. You know, but, but I mean, there's corrupt. It hurts, it aches. The older you get, you make more sounds trying to get up out of chairs. Have you noticed that? You have to hold your breath and tie your shoes. Or maybe it's just me. All right? Some of us break a sweat trying to change the toilet paper roll out. I mean, it's just the reality of life. It's corruptible. It's broken. This is going to inherit the incorruptible. This has nothing to do with heaven. At one point, man was created incorruptible but chose sin. Therefore, we are here because of that. Sin brought death into the world. The pain, the sickness, all of that. What do we call that? Slow death. Okay? Unless you're a Missouri Tiger fan, then it's really slow death. Sorry, couldn't resist it. Had to throw that out there. Praise the Lord. We're 20 days from football season. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. Yeah, whatever. Security, deal with that. Okay. But here's the thing. Now, you said in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, a lot of times we think that's blinking. 
Okay? That's way too slow. I honestly believe, because the fastest measurement is 10 to the minus 43rd power, is that the, how quick light hits your eye. I mean, I, I think you've got a physics thing that is going on here. But again, don't want to get off into that. But it says, the dead will be raised and corruptible. It says, at the last trumpet. Now, what is the last trumpet? Remember, we talked about these trumpet blasts. These have names, okay? The first trump is blown on the Feast of Pentecost. And the great trump, Excuse me. Yeah, the great trump is always blown on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. But the last trump is blown on Rosh Hashanah, or the Feast of Trumpets. It's called the last trump. Now, he says the last trump. Now, some will argue that in Revelation, when it talks about the last trumpet is blown and the seven seals and bowls and all that other kind of stuff. Well, Paul wouldn't be talking about there because Revelation is written like 50 years after that. He's talking about something specific, a time in which we can know. And then those who are resurrected after Christ returns to the earth, when he comes back, they're going to have these heavenly bodies that are going on. Okay? These glorified bodies, incorruptible, corruptible. There's a huge difference. Think about it. It's going to be awesome. But there's a couple of things that I want to show you here, talking more to do with this timeline. Okay? Now let's look at this timeline again. There are three judgments that happen. Okay? You've got the beam of seat judgments that's going to be in here. This is where we are standing before the Lord for our works, not for salvation. Everybody's standing in, at the beam, what we call the beam of seat judgment, and, and, and I, I would explain that more if we had more time. But, but just trust me on this, is we believe it's going to happen right here. Same with the marriage of the Lamb. It's happening in this seven-year period after he removes the church. Okay? Then you've got the separation of the sheep and the goats, which has to do with the tribulation, and we'll talk more about that momentarily. And then over here at the millennium is the great judgment, the great throne judgment, where everybody will stand before God. And they're either in or they're out, and then the, the final destruction. Now, this beam of seat thing is not whether you were saved or not saved, because you will not be standing there if you are not, because it is the capturing away of the saints. It has to do with our works. Let's look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to start in verse 9. It says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. The things that we do. There's an entire reward system that is often not taught in churches that based off our works. It's our works are a reflection of the change that has been made in us. Our works do not bring the change. The change is done by receiving the free gift of salvation. But a result of that is this work. There's something that happens when somebody truly is born again. As the old is gone, the new has come. This is not just a changing of the person. It is a rebirth, this born-again idea. And because of that, it changes that person, and their works change, the good and the bad. This is what I'm talking about, standing before God, Romans 14.10. But why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. What are we talking about here? Again, this is this idea, this bema seat of Christ. We're being judged for our works, and the rewards that will be given out, the different crowns. There are several different crowns that are mentioned. How do you get those? They're not just, it's just not participation trophies, folks. There are these crowns that are given out. And it says we're going to throw them all at his feet. Because you think, we're standing in front of Jesus. Do you care about a crown? I don't care about a crown. I don't want one now. Could you imagine me rocking around with a crown on my head right now? I mean, I'd look ridiculous, more so than normal. I mean, this is, this is not what we're talking about. We're going to throw that at the feet of Jesus, but we're going to answer for the works that we did. And it talks about the tears that will be flowing. Because you know what, folks? There are so many missed opportunities. 
It's unreal the amount of opportunities that we have to give to God in some way by reaching out to his people. Just the other day, I was in Omaha. I'm driving through, and there's a guy standing on a corner begging for money. You see him everywhere. It's like they've come out of the woodwork in the last few years. Probably the last five or six, I've seen him more than I've ever seen him in my life. And typically, I'll pull out a couple bucks, and I'll give it to him. And I'm always hesitant because it's like, I don't know what you're going to do with the money. Are you serious? I mean, when I was going to college in Oklahoma, there was a lawyer that got busted because on his, his evenings, he would go out, and he would sit on a corner, and he would beg for money. And then he'd get done and jump in his BMW and drive home and he got arrested for it and he was making an extra 60 grand a year yeah pretty all right gig right beast flipping burgers and mcdonald's in the evening right but this is what he did he got in trouble for it and all of that so you know that's always in the back of your head or you're going to buy alcohol you're going to buy drugs with it or whatever the case may be so i always try to give him I, I seldom carry cash but if i have it i try to give it to him because it's like you know what that's not my problem what they do with it as between them and God. But the other day, I was sitting there, and I pull up to this intersection, and I see this guy standing over, and I can't see him real well because I'm tucked back a little bit. And, uh, and I'm just like, here's another one. I have no money on it. And the guy starts walking forward. The guy was skin and bone, and the only thing I could do for him was pray. Now, I'll tell you, it's not real smart to stop your car and get out at an intersection and just leave it there while there's a red light because that red light will turn green, and then you will get honked at and probably be saluted, if you know what I mean, Okay. <laughs> But, but the bottom line, I'm sitting, I just prayed, I'm like, Lord, send the help that this man needs. That's all I could do in that moment. And honestly, it's just like what Peter says, silver and gold, I have none, but what I have, I give to you. I mean, but, but it's, it's this works idea, guys. Those are the things that we do. What you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. This, how do we help them? How do we share the gospel? I would rather somebody starve and be saved than the other way around. But we often, we're really good at meeting physical needs, but we very seldom reach their spiritual needs. And so when we get to this point, guys, as we're standing before God, we have what we call this glorified body. It's after the resurrection of Jesus. Now, what does this look like? After his resurrection, what is this? we have a couple of examples of this, all right? After his resurrection, what did he do? He came back, he ate with them, right? He ate with the disciples, Okay? And he showed his hands and his feet. They could still see the physical signs of what Jesus had gone through. And people even grabbed his feet and they worshipped him. There's something about this glorified body. And I think, now again, I can't necessarily say this wholeheartedly, that is going to be a similar situation. But there's other things that he did. Let's look at John chapter 20. Verse 19, it says, Then the same day at evening, before the first day, or being the first day of the week, which would be Sunday, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but it says the doors were shut and then Jesus appeared. Right? How did he get in? But the doors are shut is a euphemism of the door locked because they are afraid of the Jewish people because they're going to kill them. And Jesus showed. So did Jesus just walk through the walls? Well, it doesn't necessarily say that. Maybe. It just says he appeared. However he got there, he did not open the door. He did not stand and knock. He didn't have a passcode or anything to get in. He just showed up. There's something supernatural that's going on here. Okay? Let's look at it again. A little further down the chapter, verse 26. And after eight days, so this is a week later, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. I mean, this is 
Jesus just shows up, but he's able to be touched. He's eating. He's doing all the things. For once, I think that calories have been taken away. I mean, they came with the curse, folks. When Adam sinned, calories were introduced. Okay? So we could be eating Reese's peanut butter cups right now in a glorified body and be just okay. Somebody better yell amen. Y'all stay with me. So what does this glorified body look like? Well, I've, I've got a picture that I want to show you. I think it's going to look something like this. <laughs> this is my thought, okay? I mean, I think. Now, obviously, this is Photoshopped because I don't wear bracelets, okay? But the glorified body is not going to look much different than it normally does, obviously. I mean, this is, this is what I believe, guys, so just stay with me. Okay. You guys are no fun at all. It was, it, it was a year or two. I did more sit-ups then. So uh, anyway, man, I got off track. All right. So let's get back to this timeline, all right? But it obviously. Yes. I know. I know it. Guys, just so you know, that was Photoshopped. I know some of you were confused and weren't really sure, but it was Photoshopped. That's not legit. Okay. So just bear with me. But let's look at this timeline here, okay? We've got all of this coming in, and then we've got this second coming. And there's several things that are going to happen at this second coming. Now, in Matthew chapter 24, we see the return of Christ in verse 29. Now, watch this, okay? Immediately after the tribulation. Let's go back to that slide. When is it? There you go. After the tri Immediately after. Is it the next day? The next month, I don't know what immediately means to Jesus, but I tend to think pretty darn quick. Verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now there's a lot going on here, guys. But what does it say? The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. What does that sound like? It sounds like something we're going to see next week, doesn't it? An eclipse. Maybe. I don't know. The stars will fall from heaven. The powers of the heaven will be shaken. The sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. He's going to be coming. And then it says all the tribes of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Why are they mourning? They've missed him. I mean, here he comes. There is no more getting out of jail free card. But when we get this, pull that timeline back up. We see something happen. It's this second judgment, the sheep and the goats. Now, let's look at this in Matthew chapter 25. And verse, starting in verse 31, it says, Then the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him. Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another. As a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats, and he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. And I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, and, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? 
And the king will answer and say to them, And surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did it for one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those who are on the left hand. Now this is not a right and left Republican Democrat thing going on here. Just keep that down. Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal light. This is the separation of the sheep and goats. But there are three classifications of people here. You've got the sheep, you've got the goats, You've got my brethren, and we've got to figure out who these are. Because you've got the people, the sheep, who did the good things to whom? My brethren. You've got the goats who did nothing for whom? My brethren. Now, most of us believe and hear that, that uh, the nation of Israel who has missed their Messiah is going to go through the tribulation because they have missed their Messiah. But during that seven-year period, there are going to be people who give their life to Christ. My brethren couldn't be the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. It could be the converts there. It, it could be any one of those things. We don't 100% factually know because it doesn't specifically just say that. But anytime he calls somebody my brethren, they are a born-again believer in some capacity. Another thing is, is that you have the people in, on the, the, the right who are the sheep. And he says that you gave me drink and said, great is your reward. He's separating them from the goats, Okay. And it's talking about I was hungry and whatnot and all these other things that are going on. But you clothed me, you visited me, you did these good things to me. These are people, I believe, that came to faith in Christ. He says, great is your reward. But you got those people that denied it. He's separating these groups out again. Now think about this. That how are, they say, how are we doing this to you? These were people. These weren't you. It's the same thing as happened with Paul while he was still named Saul. When Jesus in Acts chapter 9 appears to him, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Was he persecuting Jesus? No, he was persecuting the church. He was killing those who came to faith in Christ. Paul was a Pharisee, which was a higher up in the Jewish religious system, and he got permission from the Sanhedrin to go around and kill everybody who put their faith in Christ. But when Jesus showed up, he didn't say, hey, quit killing my people. He says, why are you persecuting me? Why does he say that? Well, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that he is the head, but we are the body. When we are, the church is being persecuted, it is persecuting Christ himself because we are his body. It all matches and lines up. So those who did good to my brethren during the tribulation are rewarded for this, right? We see this. Now, what happens after this? All right, here we go. This timeline again. So you got the sheep and goats, but then we get into this thing where Satan is bound. The Satan, the adversary, the enemy. Here we go. This gets into Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Then I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for how long? One thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. He set a seal on him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. So what do we got? We've got on this timeline. Let's look at it one more time. We've got him bound for how long? A thousand years. How long is a millennium? A thousand years. You mean 
obviously, a lot of the religious denominations today will say, oh, this is just an analogy. It's not a literal thousand years. Well, it seems to be awfully literal to me. It seems to be a finite amount of time that he's saying for 1,000 years that Jesus is going to reign on this earth. And that completely lines up with the rest of Scripture because we have, what throne is Jesus sitting on right now? He's sitting on his father's throne. But the promise to King David was that one would sit on his throne forever. What throne is that? That is the throne that Jesus is going to sit on. He is going to reign on this earth for 1,000 years. So Satan is bound. There is no more deceiver. What Adam and Eve have fallen had Satan not gone and deceived them. We will never know for sure, but more than likely not. Things would be different now. So he is bound for a thousand, and it says he puts a seal on him. What does that mean? It's the same thing as it means that when the Holy Spirit seals us until the day of redemption. A seal that cannot be broken except by the one who made it. Okay? He cannot deceive the nations until the thousand years are finished, and then he will be uh, released for a while. Now, so there's no deception that's going on whatsoever. It gives us this idea of this utopian society. What everybody hopes for today, they think if we all just be nice and we'll just get along. I mean, when you have jihadists out there and you have several people it's like, we just need to be friendly to them and we need to be nice to them, and then they'll come around. No, they won't. You know why they won't? Because they are far from God. They are being deceived in what they believe. And therefore, they are not interested in hugging and playing cards. They are interested in killing you because based off of their religious system, that is how they are right with God. They do not believe in a religious system where you have a relationship with God and God intervenes in the dwelling of man and that we can know what, where we stand with God. They have no clue until they get there, but all they know is that if they kill uh, uh, infidels, then they will be right in God, or at least they hope so. They hope they've done enough good things. But this utopian society where there's peace in the Middle East, right? I remember growing up, that was this big chant. There are banners everywhere. We want peace in the Middle East. Well, let's look at Isaiah chapter 2 and see what this might look like. Isaiah chapter 2, starting in verse 2. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days. Okay, what are the latter days? Later than now, right? That the mountain of the Lord's house, what mountain? Mount of Olives. Shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. And all nations shall flow to it. Many people should come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nation and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. What's happening? There is no more war happening. They are taking what they once had as swords and they're making them into plows. There's still going to be work going on, folks. There's still farming. There's still all of this other stuff. But they don't need swords because nation is not rising up against nation. They put their spears into pruning hooks. They will not learn war anymore. There's this utopian idea. But where are they going? They're going to where Jesus is reigning so that they can be taught his ways. So they can walk in his path. It's, again, this utopian idea where there's just peace. Well, it goes a little further than this in Isaiah chapter 11, starting at verse 1. It says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. We're not going to get into all of that stuff, but this is referring to Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and mind, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. 
His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Now watch verse 6. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. What are we talking about? We are talking about this time in which Jesus is reigning here on the earth. You've got a lot of stuff going on here, folks. The wolf dwelling with the lamb. What do they do now? They don't play nice. One eats the other, and it's not the lamb. You've got the leopard with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, which is interesting enough. But then what's it say? A child shall lead them. So put Mufasa with a leash, and we'll just call, we'll just call my son, because he's seven years old almost, right? Isaac's running them around, right? I mean, if you've ever, as an example right now, something similar to a lion running around. Have you ever seen Katie's German Shepherd take her for a walk? You've been driving through town, and all of a sudden you see this blonde gal being drugged by this great big German Shepherd? Finally, that dog will be tamed. And not evil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she has to switch hands so one shoulder doesn't go out of socket. But the young ones will lie down together. The cow and the bear, they're going to graze. What's that say? Graze. No more death, right? They're grazing. They're eating uh, a straw. A lion shall eat straw like the ox. What do they eat now? Not straw. All the other stuff. They eat the ox. A nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. Okay, well, that's, that's risky. A weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. What's he doing? He's reaching there and grabbing, probably playing with it, bringing it home to mom. Hey, mom, look what I found. <laughs> a wheat child put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. What are we seeing here? Remember, I said this before. In Genesis, you have paradise lost. In Revelation, you have paradise regained. Everything else in between is how God is bringing those two things together. But it's almost like we're going back to the way it was prior to the fall. It's this utopian sin. There was no sin. There was no death prior to sin because of Adam's sin. Death entered the world. You see these animals, they did not kill one another. They lived in peace and harmony. It wasn't until after the flood of Noah where in, in Genesis chapter 9 where God put the fear of man in the animals, right? Before that, can you imagine? I think this is what we would have seen, just like that. So we could have ridden on lions. It would have been awesome. Someday we'll get to do that again. So it's a time of peace. It's a time of rest. But it's not like we're sitting around watching TV all day. There's still work going on. You don't need plowshares if you don't, aren't doing some sort of work. But there's something interesting in Zechariah chapter 14 that I want you to see. We're going to start in verse 16. It says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. Okay, what is this talking about? It's saying that during this time, 
every year we are going up to the holy mountain of God where Jesus is, where his throne is at, and we are going to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And we're going to worship him. And what happens if you don't? There will be no rain. Why do you need rain? Agriculture. It's the same stuff. Nothing's changed other than there is peace. That's, this is not the new heaven and new earth that God is going to create. This is a time of peace on this earth like we have never experienced. So this is something interesting. Again, we see these feasts coming full circle. Okay? That is why we need to know about these. We need to understand what these things are pointing to. Now, during this thousand-year reign, this millennial reign, the saints of Christ are going to reign with Jesus. Those taken during the rapture, prior to the tribulation, in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4, are going to come back with him. Now watch this. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who have been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. Keep that in the back of your mind. We'll come back to that. And had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who is part of in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So you have first death, second death. First death, natural death. Second death is that, that great white throne judgment that we're talking about for all eternity. Now, let's go back to this. It says, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the witness to Jesus and for the word of God. So they were beheaded simply because they were Christians, right? How do we know when this time frame was? Well, it was during the time that the beast and his image were on the earth. When is that? Tribulation. That's when it happens. Now, whether you believe it's pre-trib, post-trib, whatever you believe in that is irrelevant at this point for this part because this is dealing with the beast, because they refused to receive his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And then they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now, if you've been coming on Wednesday night, we, I recently showed you guys a video that was talking about one of the theories that we think that the Antichrist might come out of. And we believe because the Muslim people are waiting on a Messiah, just like the Jewish people are, just like the Christians are waiting for the Messiah to return, that their Messiah seems to line up very well with all the descriptions of the Antichrist. Now, who on this earth beheads Christians right now? Muslims do. There's a reason for that, because they believe that we are infidels. They believe that everybody is born Muslim, and then they turn away from that, and therefore you must be killed. Okay, so again, this would line up very nicely with that. But they're going to reign, these people that are killed during the tribulation for their faith. That means they came to faith in some capacity during that time that they are going to reign with Christ during this thousand years. So let's look at this timeline one more time. We've got that thousand year reign going on. You've got the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're not going to talk about that today. But at the end of this, Satan is going to be released. Revelation 20 verse 7. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations, which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up to the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever. Who's tormented day and night forever? Satan, false prophet, and the beast, right? Now, let's look at this. Now, during this tribulation period, there's still going to be babies born, no question about it. But during the millennium, there's still going to be babies born because you've got human beings that survived through the tribulation. They're still having children. At the end of the thousand-year reign, Satan is going to be released again. And guess what? He has success. 
because more than likely we are talking about the children of those who were born that survived that are going to be deceived. Now, how on earth does he manage to do that? Because you're in a utopian society. Everything is perfect. You can walk a lion. You can have a pet lion. That's awesome. How's he going to do it? I don't know. But he did it the first time with Adam. It was a utopian society where everything was perfect. God was walking in the cool of the day with them. What more do you need to know not to listen to that guy? But they did it anyway. So how has that happened? It's happened before. So it's not a big shock. But at the end of this, the, when they come, he gathers this to the Gog and Magog, the, 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 the final war, you know. They're going to come there and all of that fire from heaven is going to come down. It's going to destroy them. The devil is cast in the lake of fire. Okay, then we, we've got this great white throne. Right, it's going to be right here. Okay, I don't have that up on the screen, but it's going to be right there. We see this in Revelation chapter 20, starting at verse 11. It says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Then death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. And then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire. You've got first death, you've got second death. Anybody who puts their faith in Christ only dies once. We see that all throughout the New Testament. But here's the thing, guys. At the end of this time, Satan's relates, there's this judgment coming. He's going to judge everybody based off of their works and whether their name is written in the book of life. And if you're standing before God during this judgment, your name is not written in this book of life, more than likely. Because now you're getting cast and you're going to see this second death. This is not something that we want to experience. This is not something that we have to experience. Because if you've given your faith in Jesus Christ, you put your trust in Him for the work that He has done, not for the work that you can do, but the work that He has done, then we avoid this altogether. But this is kind of a timeline, and all of these festivals, guys, have lined up going to point to different aspects of this. It is important that we understand this. Now, this is obviously what I did today is not all-encompassing because we could spend months talking about end times, and that's why we're going so slow through the book of Revelation, to take the time to ask the questions, to look at the different components. But there are things, remember when I talked about in Genesis 1, I read it this morning, that there were things in the sky for signs and for seasons, right? Next week... There is a total eclipse. doesn't happen often. But I want to show you stuff from Scripture talking about this total eclipse. Not this specific total eclipse, but total eclipse as a whole. And I'm going to show you things through history. Because these things were put up for what reason? Signs. Not to an, a believing world, but to an unbelieving world. And I'm going to show you guys from Scripture how we can maybe look at this thing and say, you know what, is, this, is God doing something here? And is He using this to get the attention of the wicked? because he's done it before, and I want to show you that through history. Also, we'll have some uh, glasses that you can take home with you so you can actually look at this thing, okay? So we ordered several of those in, so I know that schools are giving them out, but in case you want some so you can go see it, we'll have some to give out next week, amen? God is good. He is good, and so there are a lot, so don't miss next week. You will definitely want to hear what we'll be talking about.